0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Parisi podcast episode. My name is Casey Lee. I am Parisi's Director of Coaching and Education. And before we get into this week's episode with Coach Steve Leo and Coach Paul Jackson, I just want to let you know of a couple things happening on the Parisi side of life. We have a new round of our Parisi Sports Performance Mentorship starting on Monday, September 6th our enrollment for this program is open right now. If you click on the link in the show notes, you're gonna be able to see more information. Apply for this 12-week fully online program to learn more about the Parisi Speed School methodology, speed training, agility training, assessment protocols, and also all of the corrective progressions that we use to reteach and teach our athletes, our developing athletes, more about running mechanics, whether it's at the track and field level or in sports, multi-sport, field sport athletes as well. So again, this is Casey Lee, the director of coaching for the Parisi Speed School. Wanted to just take over a couple seconds here of the introduction of this podcast to let you know that that mentorship is open. We're starting soon. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast episode. And now for more of Steve Leo and Paul Jackson. Here you go. Real quick, guys, before we get started with this episode with Paul and Steve, we had some audio difficulties here. There was a little bit of an echo. So, we're going to jump in mid conversation here about the 24 minute mark. Just want to give you guys a heads up. You didn't miss anything, it was just a little bit of an audio miscommunication. You know, technology, it is what it is. But we're in, conversations going. We're picking up halfway through at the 24 mark. Enjoy.
1: Speed sessions are paired with power sessions in the weight room. So, so on those speed days, that's when we're doing true sprint work and then coming in the weight room and doing our Olympic variations, med ball, squat tosses, um, box jumps, loaded jumps, all those things are, are somewhat paired together. Um, with our speed training, the, the the yardages, the distances, the velocities will all increase as the year gets longer. Um, so early, we, we kind of go in a short to long approach on those where maybe early in the offseason, it's, it's just 10-yard sprints, different start variations. Um, But again, like you mentioned, doing real speed work, Um, variety, uh, making sure rest periods are proper, making sure that they're prepared for what we're gonna ask to do. And that's the other thing, speed improves so incrementally, uh, the, the training and the training is accumulative. You can't just say we're going to have a speed school in June and think your team's going to get faster. It doesn't improve that easily where strength maybe does. You maybe can take a month and get somebody squat up. Speed is going to happen. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of precise work, and it happens in small increments. So you have to do it all the time. For, for, for their four or five years they're here, we're never not going to be doing speed development. I think that's critical. A lot of coaches miss that. They think we're going to do a two or three week block of speed and it's going to actually kick in. Um, I, I don't personally believe that. I think you can do smaller amounts of it all the time and see big results over five years.
2: I, I agree 100%. I think people, they, they segment things too much. You know, it's like, we're only going to work on this at this time, at this at that time. you got to constantly be improving in all areas. I think what you said, if I can summarize, is there's going to be certain times of year you're going to emphasize certain things, you know. So speed development might be a little bit more of a priority a certain time of year. And then conditioning is, is probably important. You're getting them ready for camp. You know, getting them to recover during the season with some mm-hmm. strength work, recovery workouts, things like that. I think that's where people have to understand. Um, I want to say it's wave loading, but it's some type of undulation, oscillation type thing that you're that you're working through. Um, and it's different. You know, people don't realize you're working with how many kids are on your team. Almost 100 kids, probably. Yeah, right? 105 here right now. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of people. You got you got to uh-huh. worry about different sizes, different backgrounds, uh, who's got an injury, who's coming off an injury, who needs to make the starting t- you know starting eleven. It's, yep. it's it's, it's a lot to consider, and I think people don't realize how, uh, how time-consuming it is. You probably spend more time programming than you do coaching.
1: Yeah, you, you got to, and putting that work on the front end is big. So when the kids aren't here, people are like, oh, well, what do you do all day? Well, I'm getting ready for when the kids are here. Um, I, I do like to have a plan. Coach Palmieri was big on this, doing the work on the front end. Uh, so I'll have the entire summer plan ready before summer starts. So in May, we got that whole eight, nine week block laid out and and that takes a long time to, to prepare. I'm making notes all semester. So now as we go through the summer, there's some things that we'll have to change. All right, that did not work. We need to do this now, immediate changes. Other than that, I'm making notes for things I want to include next winter and next summer. right? Next summer, we're going to change that. So I'm, I'm keeping notes. I got sticky notes that I keep in a Ziploc bag. And then every time we get a break in training. So again, we finish this eight-week block. There's a there's a break. I'll go through my notes. All right, What are things I, I had planned that I want to change for the fall, for the winter, for next summer? And you kind of just go through that all the time. So you're always thinking, making notes, adjusting. Um, but I do, once I have the plan, I want to run it for the most part. Um, unless it's something we just have to stop immediately. Run it, make notes, and then, and then come back to it and Put some real thought into it when the block is over, see what worked, didn't work, what you liked, didn't like, and then go on because it's an evolutionary process all the time. Uh, there was a stage where I did a lot of upper lower splits, and then I got all the way away from it. Now I'm at a part where I do a little bit of upper lower split, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not just being stagnant, just doing what you always did, you want to be thinking about it, putting thought process into it. And then, with those I mentioned, having 100 kids, we have you know there's all these programs on the computer which can help you with that but we're not just running one program so i have excel files and each kid has their own file and you have to update things and um but that program helps a lot when i first started i was trying to do it on words and i was having to go in there and change every kid's file myself um but once i figured out how to work with excel a little bit that 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 was a, a major plus for us
2: yeah i mean that's for we use we use train Heroic now and it's really it's helped us a ton because you know, we, at any facility, we could have 200 kids training at one time and, and to do all that. But I think it's important people understand is, you know, you're making I, I don't like the word change. I think you're always evolving. You know, you're always evolving your training. And some of it might be based upon the, the kids that you have. You know, the kids that you have now are, might be different than the kids that you had 10 years ago, um, the way they're coming in. So you're adjusting to them because they're, they're coming in maybe in a in different state. And Plus, yep. I'm sure with this past year with COVID, that has definitely changed what you're doing this year because they're coming off of last year where things were not not normal, right? And their training is probably off from what it should have been six to eight months ago.
1: Yeah, so it, uh, it's almost an advantage though, because now you have a full off season. So you have kids who maybe haven't trained properly for almost two full years. Uh, so, so I'm loving it right now. You actually get time. Last year was the weirdest. Uh, Crazy. Ho- hopefully that I'll ever have. It was the yeah. weirdest period of, of training ever. Uh, we were gone for an extended period of time. Then when we got back, guys were constantly in and out so right now we'll have three programs going on the field based on you know positions and we have stuff in the weight room which starts as a general program but then it's more individualized based on your injuries needs all the things you talked about last year you had to also take in okay this is week one for johnny but it's week five for bill because he hasn't missed any time with covid so the whole off season you had 20 different programs going because some people puzzle pieces. His puzzle pieces the whole time. Like, all right, he's not prepared to do this workout, so we have to have these three guys doing this condition. It, it was it was chaos the whole time. I I still can't believe we actually played a season. We <laughs> <But laughs> got it in. We got it in. I guess it it, it was truly challenging and uh. I didn't get to become as good as I, I wanted to at the virtual training. Some people did a lot more and a lot better with that. I was kind of just sending guys workouts and calling them and FaceTiming them and seeing what they could do and couldn't do. But some people were able to really get good with the virtual stuff, which maybe may be the future, especially you see what's happening in the NFL, their their offseason on site is getting shorter and shorter. So I think developing a, a virtual skill set. Is something that's going to have to happen, and maybe help some people. Last year, they, they kind of expedited, it, got got to it a little faster. But this year, I, I love it. We're going to actually go through spring ball. We're going to actually go through a full summer. We'll go th- so you can work a plan. Last year was kind of just figured out as you go.
2: Yeah, I think. Listen, I, everybody did that. You know, even me at the high school I was at, we're doing virtual training and. I think if anyone doesn't fit virtual you know virtual teaching, it's it's strength conditioning coaches. Yeah. It's not something you can do very well. I mean, I try doing push ups in my living room and showing people how to do stuff in my basement. It's definitely not the same, but you did what you had to do, um uh, probably more than most. Uh, but I'm sure like you said, you're back to uh, whatever the word normal is now, yeah. you know doing doing your thing, but um, you know it was definitely a tough year, but for the last couple of years, you know training has i think it's in a way changing right or evolving. Uh, there's a lot more things that are, that are out there now. You have technology now being utilized in training, whether it be using apps on your phone or, uh, you know, like velocity-based training, things of that nature. Equipment is, I mean, I can't even name all the equipment that's out there now compared to 10 to 20 years ago. It's definitely changed a lot. What are your thoughts on where things are going in the S&C world? And do you think there are some good things and there are some things that maybe you, you don't like? You know, how do you kind of foresee the next you know, five to 10 years in strength conditioning?
1: Well, I, I love that there's constantly new things popping up. Um, it means people are thinking. It means people are intelligent. It's not just, this is what I did, so we're going to do that. Um, I do fear that a lot of it, though, is from sales and marketing people. They're, they're kind of driving some of the training now, as opposed to some of the basics are, are going to forever. You you get strong, you stay lean, you get fast. Um, I mean, some of that stuff's universal and going to be forever. Yeah. Um, I I do like a lot of the things, though. Um, Some of it, I believe, is we have intelligent coaches who are just seeking out complexity. Their minds just won't sit with – it can't just be this simple. Sometimes it is, especially at earlier stages in an athlete's development. There's probably not a reason to do this if he can't skip properly or if he can't do a push-up. We probably don't need velocity-based chain-loaded bench press yet. You know, It it may not happen. Um, but I do like that there's constant innovation that people are thinking, people are reading, people are putting out research. Um, I like that that people are respecting the athletes as athletes and as people. Um, I, I do notice that you see less people just abusing the kids, be it either verbally or with the training. Um, it used to be just gutter, all right? That's yep. our goal. We're just going to make this as hard as possible. We're going to get tough. Throw yeah, yeah, they thought, oh, well, it was a great workout. I think you're starting to see less of that. People understand intelligent training. And there may be some some place in training for those type of days or period. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. But it used to all be all that. Now yeah. people are starting to at least understand, oh, I can actually make him run faster and jump higher. And that's important that we can see him as that. And then treating him like like people, you know, you want to create a good work environment for your staff. You wouldn't want your boss talking to you like that. So, so those are positives that I see. The way people are coaching these kids, um, and and the way they're training, I think is is getting smarter. Um, I think that sport coaches are involving SNC coaches more in their planning because that's the biggest thing. We can have the best plan in the world, and we have every yard mapped out. We have every progression of every drill, and okay, we're gonna do this many plyos week two versus week eight. But then if football starts and it just goes to complete chaos, hey, we don't know how to fill in the gaps. We're not sure what we should be doing once football starts. But then also all that training just goes away. And that is the, the major number one stressor training effect is gonna be their sport. It's what they're most passionate about. It's what's gonna be the most intense. It's what they're here for. It's what they're in scholarship for. They're gonna be long periods of time. So you have spring ball, you have all season from August to December where that is the priority. We become support structures at that point. So. How can we help sport coaches to, to periodize and to plan and to understand some of these um, uh, some of these manip- variables that they can manipulate? You know, All right, what is an intense day? Is it an intense day when we're doing tempo work or is an intense day when they're actually running fast? They, they get confused because they think hard is intense. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Speed, collisions, volume are all different things that we can manipulate in practice. And I think being able to be involved with that is probably where we'll have the biggest impact going forward in the next five to 10 years.
2: Yeah, I think you make a great point. Cause I think, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think more and more coaches now they recognize strength conditioning as a vital now part of their program. Whereas even maybe 10 years ago, it it was still growing, right? Strength conditioning staffs have gotten bigger, right? It used mm. to be one or two coaches. You have how many guys are on your staff now?
1: Like, four, yeah, we got five. five just football plus there's yeah. four more for Olympic sports. Yep.
2: Yeah. So you have a lot more support, which I would say make your jobs easier, but it definitely helps you with your planning and, and the kids can get coached more. I think a lot of coaches, you know, if you look at their age, if they're 30, 40 years old, they went through some type of strength conditioning program. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, those coaches didn't have S&C. It wasn't really, it was like, yeah, you're just lifting weights. So don't get too tight, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, but I think more and more coaches know that even on a high school level. You know, I'm like, I said, I, I, I'm starting up or start up a program four years ago at a private high school. They never had it. They had a weight room and they said, we don't know what to do with it, you know, and, and it was definitely, uh, it took some time to convince some of the coaches because so I'm sure you've dealt with that. You probably had coaches that buy in and believe hundred percent and some are probably like, mm, you know, I, my kids just got to get in shape, just get him in shape. Yep. <laughs> so how, how do you deal with that? If you ever have a coach that let's be honest, maybe doesn't fully buy in. Um, is it something where you'll sit down with the coach and, and try to figure out what their needs are and then try to accommodate them and then hopefully it develops over time or.
1: Yeah, that, that changes your job a lot if you have a coach that believes in you or does not believe in you or support you and does not. I mean, that that is that's probably the number one thing that can affect our job as a college strength coach. If, yeah. if you have to fight the head coach all the time, that's, that's a major issue. Um, my, my thing's always been on the interview, be 100 percent honest. If, if a coach starts talking about all I care about is having the most 350 pound bench presses possible, I think that's the way to win games and you sit there and nod and agree with it, then that's on you, you're gonna to have to train like that. So if on the interview, he says that and you present a different option of what you believe in and you still get the job, then a lot of it has been taken care of, you know? So I think being upfront and honest from the beginning is critical. I think that to, to have a sport coach uh, buy into a couple of things, you have to be organized. So when you're meeting with him right from the beginning, There has to be a plan. It can't just be, oh, well, figure this out or I kind of like that. No, have a structured plan, a system that you can present and show to them, explain why you're doing it. Um, Now, I'm not saying don't listen to anything he's got to say, obviously, almost like with the kids, explain how what you're doing does accomplish the same thing he's asking for, or show where, okay, yes, we can add a little bit more of this to to give you what you want. But I think being honest and upfront from the beginning, I think the way you carry yourself with confidence, um, I think if they watch you in a session, Almost regardless of what you're doing, the way this session operates, if if they like, if you have a coach who likes for the kids to be having fun and it looks like the kids are having fun, okay. If he likes, if you have a coach who wants there to be dead silence, and that's how it is. So so even all discussing those things ahead of time, you have to kind of get the vibe for what he wants. If they're engaged and giving great effort, which is kind of what they will with us, we will have some fun, but we're gonna have things that the kids believe are going to help them. So they're going to be engaged and want to be coached and be listening. So the coaches can see that. If you come watch one of our speed sessions, even though there's those extended rest periods or a lot of guys aren't necessarily running at the same time, they can see kids come up to me and ask for coaching cues. And they can see that when he went, he gave maximum effort. They they can see that. Um, so I think that when they watch a session, it's got to be organized. It's got to be um, – uh, it looks productive. It looks well done. And then you just kind of go from there. And then once the kids are buying in and they're believing it and they're running around the building talking about – how good they feel or how much, you know, whatever faster they are, then the coaches aren't going to argue with you. You know, they'll they'll kind of go with that. But at the end of the day, you have to win games. So if we're losing games, they look for people to blame. And a lot of times the strength coaches is going to be the easiest one to point at. So that's just a fact that the strength coaches uh, sometimes argue about they don't like being judged by wins and losses. And I don't know if we should or not, but we are. It is a fact. Yeah, it's a business. We, we, yeah, it, it's a business. The wins and losses are part of it. When we're winning, they think we're all great. Everybody over here, strength coaches, the O.C. is great. As soon as we're losing, we're not. So you have to do everything you can to help the team win games. If that means going and buying peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, it means talking to your linebacker that you know is living bad off the street, whatever it is, uh, if you want to continue to have autonomy in your program, you better do everything to help win games.
2: Yeah, it goes back to what we said earlier. It's all about relationships. You, know, you have to have good relationships with the coaches and the and, and, uh... – and the players, and I think communication is probably a big thing. You, you mentioned that you know if you can't have that open and honest dialogue w- with whether it be your head coach, OC, or whoever your AD, it doesn't really matter. You have to be open and honest. And I think sometimes people are afraid to disagree because I think a disagreement is going to cause a conflict. And disagreement sometimes is disagreement. It's okay to have and talk through it, and then maybe both sides will walk away okay. But you know it, it doesn't have to be that one side wins or loses. You know what I mean? I think it's just one of those things where. You get, like I said, you gotta speak your mind and you'll know right away if if they're on board. And sometimes you might convince them. I'm sure you've done that with coaches that they had one view on things and you showed them another side of it and they said, okay. And they bought into it and maybe they, they kind of came over to your the way of thinking.
1: Yeah, sometimes and sometimes you, you may have to give a little bit. And if it's not that, then sometimes it's better to not have that job. I mean true. Yeah. It it could be it. a miserable situation. You know, you don't you don't want to I would I wouldn't want to be in a situation where me and the head coach are at odds. With what we're doing, you you can be. I've had situations where the head coach doesn't even really care, which is is fine because you can just do your thing. Um, but maybe you don't get the support or the 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 public support, or with even the team where he's selling you to them, which which helps. But at least he lets you do your thing. But if there is conflict, that 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 to me is not an appealing situation. I think it's better to find that out as early as possible.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we've all been in those situations. That are, they're not fun. So um, I want to wrap up with one last question because we've been off for 45 minutes. We could probably go five hours. And I know you got a million things to do out there. Um, if if you could take a time machine back and, and go back to when you first started out as a strength coach, what would be some advice you would give to yourself? Because I'm sure you've learned some lessons over the years. What would be the one thing you would tell yourself, I don't know, almost 20 years ago you started being a strength coach?
1: Yeah, uh, some of it was – you know, kind of the advice I gave before is not worry so much about the future as a young strength coach. I stressed so much about how do you build a career doing this? Like you see everybody getting fired and it made it less enjoyable sometimes where you're, you're, you're not just upset that you lost your, you're thinking about, oh man, I'm going to have to move again, or I'm not going to be able to get this car, whatever it is. Um, And it kind of robs you of the moment of being able to just enjoy Every area, every every, wherever you're at, if it's in the weight room or if it's your first year of the job or eighth year of the job, the, the worry of what's going to happen in the future can sometimes kind of rob you. Um, so from a philosophical thing, that might be one. From a training standpoint, um, I wanted to get everything as fast as possible. So I made a mistake early on of making my conditioning sessions really just look like speed sessions with not enough rest. So then we were running way too much high velocity yards. I was pushing the conditioning, not from a volume or a density standpoint. I was pushing it, all right, now that 15-second run is now going to be a 14-second run, like the same distance. I was driving everything from that end, and it can't work like that. Um, Some things can be progressed with intensity and some should not, and then it starts to be a negative. So our conditioning sessions were becoming so brutal – CNS wise that we weren't able to get the speed that I was looking for. I was thinking we're going to sneak speed in everywhere. So, so really understanding that your speed days and speed days, your conditioning days are not that um, progress them in different ways. I think was big Um, again with the speed thing, understanding that it's a, it's a very effective training means and you don't have to do every drill possible. You don't have to do 500 yards of sprint work every session. You know, it, it can be effective in small doses and then the calendar. All right. So this was another big one. The calendar is the calendar. If I have nine weeks, that's all I have. If I wanted to progress to depth jumps, but we weren't able to do the drills leading up to that, then we can't do depth jumps. You know, just understanding that, that we have certain limitations in this setting and don't try to cram in stuff just because you want to do it. It has to be built out. You can't just say week eight, I want to do this and we'll figure it out how to get there. You can't do that. You have to start at week one and then how far we can progress based on the constraints is, uh, It's just a reality of the situation. Like right now, we're on a discretionary week. I would have rather it have been last week because we had a four-week block. I was ready for a little break. And then we have another four-week block. But that's not the way the calendar fell. So we had to push it, start our second week. I mean, start our second block one week into that. Now's the discretionary week. We come back to three. Not ideal. It is what it is. And you just have to kind of deal with some of that stuff as a cop strength coach.
2: Yeah, listen. You made a great point of if you're not ready to do something, don't do it. I think we get too worried about we got to get this in, or it's almost like check marks. We got to check off that we did X, Y, Z. At the end of the day, if they're getting better, they're getting better. What exercises you use? I don't say they don't matter, but they're not the end all be all. There's a million different ways we, we said it earlier. And I, I think again you reiterated that point. I think strength coaches need to hear that because there are straight coaches that are married to Olympic lifts or married to to you know to Louis Simmons, you know, powerlifting program. And to be stop getting married, you know what I mean? Date around a little bit. <laughs> Check it out. There's a lot of different things you can use. And you know, we deal with kids on on such a different level. They're middle school, high school kids that you know, can't squat their body weight, you know, can't do pull-ups, can't do push-ups. So to me, if you can't do basics like that, everything else isn't, isn't going to really matter.
1: 100%. Yeah, you
2: know, so – um, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm, I'm so happy for you. You know, I, I follow you all the time. Your career has been amazing to watch. And, you know, definitely someone that I look up to now. I see how well you're doing uh, from the SEC world. And you're a leader because what you're doing is you're trying to progress the profession. Um, I don't think everyone is trying to do that. So I, I know I appreciate it And I love watching what you're posting. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to try to pick your brain a little more in the future uh, once in a while on some stuff. But uh, any parting thoughts you want to let some of these strength coaches know? Well.
1: we'll- just to you, I appreciate you saying that and 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 I don't know if I've told you before, but what an impact you and my time at Parisi had on me. That that was a true blessing to be able to get there. And you know, we're we're all strength coach draw born in the weight room, but being able to be at Parisi and be given a, a B-level agility session. And how do I progress this three days in a row? This kid's been here. Just having the opportunity to be coached by you and and learn from there was a major thing. I think it's had a huge impact on my career. That was actually part of the what Tommy Moffitt at LSU was interested in was my Parisi background. So um, I'm appreciative and grateful for that. And that was a great experience for me. And, and hopefully I can uh, continue to build on that legacy.
2: Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And if people want to follow you, you want to kind of – I know we had to give out the whole social media handle stuff. Where, uh, <laughs> where can people follow you and check out what, what you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, on Twitter, on Instagram, I'm co- at Coach P. Jackson.
2: So.
1: You're not TikToking it up these days? I've not been on TikTok. I've never seen a TikTok. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, for me, I, I don't know that old school. The, the high school kids probably don't do either one of those anymore. Huh?
2: No, no, it's different. Yeah, I have a daughter who's on TikTok. so I, I just said uh, whatever. Just leave it over there. Yeah, But, but uh, I appreciate everything. I'm going to get everyone signed off here and, uh, you know, wish you all the best in, in the future. Yes, sir.
1: Thank you.